everybody. This is the Wild Ass Podcast, and I am your host, Wild Ass Craig. This is episode 11, and in this episode, I get to introduce all of you to a man named Kurt Morgan. Although you probably don't know him by name, you may know him as Ramble from the Instagram pages Ramble on Photo or Ride 1K in a Day. In this podcast, we're going to learn more about Ramble and just how the Ride 1K in a Day came about. Throughout the first 10 episodes, I've gotten a bio from my guest, compiled some bullet points, and started there. This show has been no different, but when I got this guy's bio and read through it, my original plan, I just threw that out the window. What I'm going to do this time is just going to get right to it. So, Ramble, welcome to the show. Hey, Craig. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to uh, to connect with you in this way. We've chatted quite a bit back and forth throughout the last year, so we've actually gotten to get to know each other a bit. And uh, I got to say, I am so looking forward to the Ride 1K in a day. Yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I need to make that happen. And we had early on, to give the listeners a background, I think you and I had connected at some point and, and someone said, man, you need to sponsor this guy. And I'm like, yeah, I, I can't really sponsor him if I'm not, if I haven't actually done a 1K in a day, it seems like it's kind of hypocritical. <laughs> we know you will. <laughs> I've done a number of 700, 800 mile days, but never broke the thousand mile mark. And you and I tried to meet together last summer to make it happen for both of us. I think we were going to ride yeah. a little beyond halfway, meet each other, and then turn around and ride back home, right? Yeah, yeah, our schedules just kind of line up. So we couldn't make it happen, but that's okay. We're going to do that in the future. This time, or this show, I should say, is more about you and your story. And like I said in the intro, normally I compile a bunch of bullet points and it gives me something to talk about. And uh, and I think it introduces the listener to you as the guest. But this time, reading your bio, man, this thing is cool. So I want you to share more of your story than me even giving the bullet points. That sound good? <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. And I actually planned on, when you asked for the bio, planned on sending you bullet points because like, what am I going to write about myself? And then I just started writing and it flowed. I'm like, I can't put this in bullet points. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you do. I really don't. Um, yeah. And reading it, your story is pretty fantastic. And I, I have to say when I was reading this, the last episode uh, was Brett from KST. And everybody knows we're recording these now. So Brett from KST was episode 10. I don't know if you've met him. Great guy, great company, super family. One thing that he had said in his, and it made me think of this reading yours, is what a cool exercise in laying down your history and giving you kind of the platform to continue this so you can pass this on to your kids. I mean, you got half the work done. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of cool writing it and realizing like, oh, how connected all these things are. It is. So I just kind of want to ask you questions based on your story, and we'll just have a conversation to see where this thing goes. Hopefully, sure. before your kids wake up, we can uh, <laughs> we, we can get to the end. I don't think there is an end. We're still moving. But one of the things we had talked about in the past was right down to where it all began. And you state in your bio, Newton's Law, What's born? You you say what's born in motion stays in motion. So explain this. Yeah. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. Yeah, the beginning is where it all starts. So I was born in Pocatello, Idaho, 1986, in route to the hospital, and uh, I just couldn't wait to get moving. I think my mom uh, pushed me out in two or three pushes, and I was out running. And uh, I even made the front page of the papers then. And since then, uh, we really haven't stopped moving. My dad's job is a contract construction manager. We've moved, well, to date, I've moved, let's see, 12 states and 26 homes. Not sure how, how many of those were under my parents' roof, uh, moving with them. But uh, I kept moving even after, you know, I left the house around 17 and uh, just haven't stopped. And neither have they or my sister. And uh, we both enjoyed growing up moving so many times that, I think it made us both very resilient and uh, adaptable. So growing up like that, it, it just stuck with me, and I, I have this itch to keep moving. I live literally within an hour and a half of where I was born. Farthest place I've ever lived away from there, I think I'm always within a two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour at best radius. 
Mm-hmm. I've, I've never moved away. So explain well, that. Travel a lot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but explain that moving from place to place. I don't understand it. I'm sure I have listeners that do, but I don't get mm-hmm. it. So I got friends that are military brats. I got friends that move for work all over the place. And it always, it kind of intrigues me. Like, what is that like? You know? <laughs> well, as a kid, it wasn't much work course so the moving part of it as is very challenging for you know when you're actually packing up and moving the things but as mm-hmm. a kid my mom she made it fun for uh both me and my sister she kind of just made it this new adventure and uh oftentimes we would move in the middle of the school year and i was fortunate to have you know gone to this new school as the new kid and it it always worked out well being the new kid Sure. So, which is, could be often very intimidating as as a child, but uh, we just rolled with it really well. But as I got older, and I'm packing my own things and moving to the next place for whatever reason, I've grown to minimize. I've become quite a minimalist, and I pack just what I need and a few boxes, and get what else I need when at the new place. That's probably why I don't move now. <laughs> Seems like it it's a, a lot, lot of work, work as an adult. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, especially when you have kids, furniture. Yeah. When you were, so you said you moved out at 17. Where were you when this all started? When you, when, when you were 17, where did you move to? Uh, I was living in Syracuse, New York, where I am again now. And my parents actually moved. So I was on my own at 17, but it was them making the move. My dad got a new job as a contract construction manager in, um, I think it was the uh, airport in Maryland. And I was still in high school. I was going into my senior year. And uh, I told my dad, I'm like, I'm not moving. I'm like, I'm going to be graduating soon. He's like, well, that works out. I'm not ready to sell the house. So I'll come back up every other week in our cell. We'll renovate it, as we did with every house we lived in. My dad had um, renovated and improved. And I learned a lot of construction skills through him growing up. And so he, they left a uh, house to... Uh, 17, 18 year old in high school. <laughs> <laughs> Every 17 year old's dream. Yeah, you can imagine the rest. And it was empty, so nothing <laughs> to break. You know, they moved everything out except my stuff in, in my room and uh, a couple of beds in different rooms. So <laughs> you can imagine the rest. Right. So after graduation, did you pick up and move out of the house? Did he sell it on you? What, what happened there? I ended up going to school in New Hampshire for photography. I took two years off after high school because I had a house to myself and a bunch of friends, and we were just up to no good. So I uh, took two years off and then went to uh, school in New Hampshire, and then after two years there, transferred to a school in Boston and got my degree in photography there. That's awesome. Was you, Were you making a living taking pictures at this time? Uh, not in school, no. Uh, I was actually doing some dog walking while in school. Shockingly lucrative, especially in Boston. <laughs> really? Yeah. That is not a career that I would ever think of, but now that you say it, I've seen it. Yeah, and, and when I left, uh, I'm sure we'll get to that, I, I went on a big road trip. I gave it to a, I, I had a small business that I, now I was working for somebody and through that kind of grew into my own thing. And I, I gave my friend all my clients and man, I am kicking myself for not telling him, okay, in two years, you owe me $60,000 because he would have paid that. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, he, he blew up big. And that would that'd just be like a small portion, of course. Like, I wouldn't be drying him out with that. Right. But you're still friends with him? Yep. Yeah, I'm proud of him. Oh, good. Good deal. No thing. animosity. Everything's <laughs> cool. Oh, no, no, no. I, just me kicking myself for not being more business minded. <laughs> <laughs> that happens. That happens. So at this point now we're talking into your early twenties, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So one of the things in your bio, you'd said you were drawn to motorcycles, but you never rode them. So you didn't have dirt bikes. You didn't have any introduction to motorcycles before this, before I, you were 20 some years old. One. I never owned one, but so all I did have was uh, one of the places we lived in Iowa, middle of nowhere, had a bunch of friends. They had some dirt bikes, and I'd get on them. I tried them, and uh, I, I busted my leg open once pretty bad, saw the uh, my whole leg bone, just the skin peeled off my shin, basically. 
from the uh, peg. Okay. And just blood soaked down my leg. My sock turned red. My shoe had a puddle of blood in it. Never told my mom or dad. I uh, just rubbed some dirt on it and kept going. But uh, that and my uncle, he had a motorcycle. and But we never saw him much. Um, he's my, my dad's brother, and he's one of the coolest guys. And uh, I, I think I really looked up to him. And I remember one day asking my mom, I was like, where's Uncle Randy? She's like, I don't know, somewhere on his motorcycle. And <laughs> I just remember, like, not even having a response to that, just kind of, like, thinking in my head, oh, that's really cool. Nobody knows where he is. He's just on his motorcycle somewhere. And I just sort of put that in the back of my mind and went on with my life and took it back off the shelf when, you know, I was ready to do something like that myself. When you became ready to do something like that, how did that come about? So I'll, I'll just say the thing that's jumping to my mind is, is a breakup. <laughs> oh, it was a girls. breakup broke my heart <laughs> and I just needed I needed a big change and I think a motorcycle was it but I was living in Boston and uh, traded in my my big Jeep Wrangler for my first motorcycle and that thing was falling apart it practically already was a motorcycle except with two more wheels there's a leak in the exhaust headers and I couldn't get the doors back on and so it was like you know, already in the wind and already loud as hell. So <laughs> it was time. Oh, that's funny. So you had a big Jeep. You decided that you wanted to trade that off, got yourself a motorcycle. What kind of riding did you, what was the motorcycle first? That was it. Your very first one, uh, you got rid of the Jeep. Uh, a 2012 Sportster 883. And I, I liked it, but I wasn't in love with it. I, what I did like was just the riding and the road, but like I did not feel connected to the bike, as as many are when they first get, they get a Sportster and then they want more. You know that was me, so uh, mm-hmm. I traded that in for a uh, uh, 2014 Dyna Street Bob, okay. and uh, that's what I then hit the road with on on a, on a long trip that I'm sure we'll get to. Yeah, we'll talk about that for sure. How long did you have your Sportster? Uh, just two years. Okay. Yep. Say, I don't think you just said that, did you? <laughs> no, no, I just did the math. It was a 2014, then I got a, and that was a 12. <laughs> okay, so you got the Dyna brand new also? Yep, yeah, I traded in the Sportster for it. I didn't think I'd be able to afford that, but before this trip, and I did some smaller trips on the Sportster and, you know, wasn't loving it, so I, I went in to see if I could swing it, and they cut me a killer deal because I told them what I was up to. And they loved it. They put me on a Dyna, sent me on my way. So a Dyna certainly is not the bike for this trip you're talking about. But how, I want you to explain this trip because reading through this, the bio is great. And I'm sure there's so much more to the story. But you got your motorcycles. You now you you have your second motorcycle. You have a, you graduated with photography, right? So you have your degree there. Um, Were you doing photography as a business at this point? When, when this all came uh, together or not? No, no, I was kind of just doing photography for school and the projects there. And, and uh, then comes graduation and a, a lot of my colleagues, they had networked and made all the right connections. And now they're right out of school doing like big things like wedding stuff typically or architecture. And I hadn't done much networking, so... With that and this breakup, I was like, I need to get out of here. And as with art, you kind of got to do something crazy to get it somewhere, to get noticed. And so I had this idea to hit the road and live on a motorcycle. Before I even had my first one, this idea was born. And I just started planning, saving for three years until I was ready to go. Thank you, Uncle Randy, huh? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Talk about this. What was the vision of your trip? So did, did you ever name the trip? I guess I didn't, I don't even know that. I, I suppose the name would just be Ramble on Photography. It was what, what my business went by. Okay. So Ramble on so Photography, you talked about going and living on your motorcycle. So tell us what led up to that, like the, the few months. What kind of planning did you do? And then let's talk about the trip itself. Uh, let's see. So about three years, well, working as a dog walker, saving up money, planning. I'd uh, come across things that look cool in the United States to go visit or do. And uh, 
whether I see it on TV or friend suggestion or magazine or whatever. And then I would just plug it into a Google Maps app and just start collecting pens on this map. And I still have it. I could go look at it and it's just covered in pens. And that is so awesome. the plan was always to just fully wing it. I'm not a big planner, really. So I called it a plan without a plan. You know, this plan is just these pens and then to just go ride and camp out 90% of the time, get the occasional hotel for, you know, some comfort and uh, shower and wake up each morning and look at my map and the pens around me and decide, you know, where I want to go that day. And then I'd go that direction and, you know, check this out and, okay, what do I want to see next? And I go over there. And it just kept going like that for uh, almost 18 months. And the other part of the plan was, was to go for broke. And I'd been broke before, so it's no problem. I always get right back on my feet. So I, I saved up uh, 20 grand for this trip. <laughs> I brought it all in cash, if you can believe that. <laughs> That's <I> had, ballsy. <laughs> yeah, it is ballsy. It's stupid, <laughs> really. We could just say what it is. I had some in the bank account, but, um, you know, with my camera and my passport and my cash, like, I had this this bag. It was my camera bag with those things. It never left my side, period. So I was pretty comfortable with all that. That's awesome. How, so as as you're talking about this, so I can envision, you, okay, you save up the money, you're going to go do this. Did you have any plans of trying to raise money or earn money while you were on the road? I, what year was this? Uh, so I left in 2014, and I didn't really have any plans to make money. I actually was sort of committed to not making money. I didn't want to work. I wanted to just live an experience and I can work later. Right now, this is for making connections, meeting people, and you know maybe finding a, a big job in photography through this. That's awesome. What's really funny about that statement right there is earlier you said you're not much of a networker. <laughs> so you're literally yeah. throwing yourself into the fire. I exactly. love Exactly. And that's what I knew I needed to do because I hadn't done it at all. And I'm like, I just got to go full throttle into what something I should have been doing already. Was, are you, I, and I'm sorry, I don't know this. Are you on YouTube? No. Okay. So there no. was no videoing and I'm not a YouTuber. We have a YouTube channel um, that sucks, but <laughs> I, I know there's a number of people now monetizing YouTube. So yeah. they're really, you weren't going to even monetize it that way. It, this has got to be everybody's goal. For people that are young, you just have to do this, whether it's in a car, motorcycle, whatever, to save up that yeah. money and take off with no intentions of bringing any of it home, just living the experience. That yeah. is awesome. Yeah, I highly recommend it to anybody that has the opportunity. And you know, I, I had it, I didn't have kids or a girlfriend, or rather, I had one and she wasn't really supportive of it. So I kicked her to the curb. And, um, <laughs> Yeah, so if you ever have the opportunity, you know, I highly recommend it. And I think what a lot of people do is uh, like backpacking in Europe. I don't know if that's still a thing, but kind of around when I was planning this, like that was the thing everybody was doing. Although their plan was, you know, they go backpack in Europe and then come back home. I left from Boston and had no intentions of coming back, really. Um, if it worked out that way, that's fine. But that yeah. just wasn't part of the plan. It just amazes me. Like, I'm speechless. It's just so cool that... <laughs> That's what you did. I always say if I got to do it over again, I would, you know, bust my ass till I was like 40 and then retire until I'm 50 and then go back to work. You know, young enough to do everything. Yeah. It didn't work out that way, but now I'm I'm blessed and I have this career that I've been able to make seem like a vacation to me. So, yeah, it's a little kind of exhausting, but it's a lot of fun. <laughs> That's a good retirement job, right? <laughs> yeah. That you got out there. Yeah. So you did, you said you went out for 18 months. Mm -hmm. What were some of the coolest places you went and saw? Do you like what just reaches out to you and says, Oh, I got to tell you about this. Uh, probably Yellowstone, uh, jumps out and, uh, Florida Keys. Uh, so I will, I will say that one thing I, I wish I didn't do and I would do differently if, if I can do this again is, so I had a lot of really stupid stuff on my list, like kitschy roadside attractions, like world's largest ball of yarn or whatever i didn't sure. go to that but an example so I, I would not do stuff like that again i would focus on national parks and and state parks so those are the things that 
were the best part of my trip for me that really jumped out. And uh, the occasional motorcycle event, too. I hardly knew about any of them, just Sturgis, I guess. So I was never really on social media until this trip. I, I knew it was necessary, so I got on. And then I started to open up this whole world of all these motorcycle events and things that are going on around the country. So You talked about uh, Yellowstone. It, it's funny, you have two extremes in there, Yellowstone and the Keys. What yeah. <laughs> jumps out to you about those two places specifically? Well, the Keys is just the vibe. It's so laid back and just that that long, straight, slow road. And I like to go fast, but, you know, when, when situations force me to slow down, I embrace that. And, uh, you know, the, the ride down to the Keys is no different. I think it's like maybe the fastest you ever go legally is 45 miles an hour. So I just kick back on my bike and enjoy the scenery. And uh, Yellowstone, that jumps out uh, for this buffalo that passed by me. And I, I took a photo, and I, I've just been drawn to buffalo, maybe say it's spirit animal or something. But so I was just on the road by myself, fortunately, not many people around, which, you know, isn't really the case anymore. It's usually flooded. These things are flooded with people. So I, I caught up to this buffalo and passed him and then hopped off and waited for him to uh, passed by my motorcycle and I took a picture and just felt this connection, this lone buffalo and this lone biker and there was a little head nod to each other sort of feel and you know kept moseying yeah. on. Yeah, that is cool. It's I don't think people realize how large buffalo are, and I think oh the only God. way you can realize that is when you're on your motorcycle right next to one. Yeah, <laughs> kind of <laughs> terrifying. Yeah. Well, I looking back, I wasn't terrified. I felt very comfortable, but you know, after the fact, and I posted the picture, and people were like, weren't you scared? And I was like, no, why? And then come to find out, and seeing videos since then, actually, of bison attacking a motorcyclist, maybe you've seen that. Um, yeah, it's, you don't mess with them. <laughs> no. I remember one time we were riding through Custer. That's out, it's in the Black Hills, and we mm-hmm. were, we kind of got stuck in a traffic jam, and the traffic jam was Buffalo. Oh, cool. Yeah, I mean, it was crazy. You could, It felt like you could reach out and touch him, but you're like, eh, he's pretty happy right there. I'm just going to let him walk by. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, never. They could just charge right at you. They could. And that's now that you say that, it's funny because it wasn't a scary experience being there. What's scary is mm-hmm. what you learn later. Right. I'm glad you said that because that, that reminded me of that story. So you've done these rides. You've done the parks, national parks, state parks, all your random things you saw. You mentioned the fact that, this went on for 18 months, which tells me that that's about how long $20,000 lasted. Yeah, it should have lasted longer. The, I, I probably stayed in hotels more than I should have. Sure. Uh, not a lot. It's just, you know, if, if it was a lot, then it wouldn't have lasted that long. But, um, man, yeah, I remember, let's see, April coming around and had got my taxes in. And I was I went broke around that time, and it was just like I need this tax return to you know, everything was a tax write-off and everything was an expense. So I, I had a, I think, like $3,500 check coming back to me. And I remember that coming and at a bar with my friend and seeing it on my phone. I'm like, drinks on me. <laughs> I can keep going. So I thought that was the end of my road. And then that came in and I got to keep going. That was in, uh, I was in Texas. Okay. So halfway across the country. Well, I zigzagged all around. There's I'm just, I'm thinking of where you ended up, you know. So that if that would have been the end of the road, you're halfway across the country. But that wasn't the end of the oh, road, right? No, Oregon was the end of the road. And tell us about that. So let's see. I I landed in Oregon and absolutely fell in love with Oregon. Um, it it couldn't have worked out better. I don't think anywhere else. I happened to have a old friend there and connected with him. Got to crash on his couch for a couple weeks and then got into a a local bar, kind of biker bar, uh, White Owl Social Club in Portland, Oregon. And everyone that works there, all the guys ride motorcycles. So I got into there doing door security. And they, you know, they saw me on my motorcycle coming to work and park next to all theirs. They're like, hey, man, you want to go for a ride with us this weekend? And we go for a camping trip and we're rolling along. And I uh, flip around. I get ahead of them and flip around start popping shots of them, you know, like, totally turned around my motorcycle and like who the fuck is this guy gonna find out later like what the hell (laughs) we get to this bar and we're having drinks and they're like 
man, what's up with that? He's like, these pictures you're taking, that's awesome. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what I've been doing, like, on the road, taking pictures, ramble on photography. My buddy's on his phone right next to me, just kind of listening, and he's like, what? I'm like, yeah, just, you know, just been roaming around taking pictures. And he's like, I've been following you for, like, a year, and you've been working it with me for, like, two weeks now? I'm like, yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> like, awesome. Ramble on photo, yeah. So that was cool. So I looked up uh, Ramble On, and I found it on Instagram. You haven't done anything on there for a long time. Yeah. Is it, do you still have access to the page? Yep. Yeah. I just, uh, I don't take pictures like I used to. So for me, that Instagram was me deep into it. I was living on the road. I was taking pictures every day, documenting this travel. And then when that travel stopped, so did the, uh, that project and those photos. Okay, is that by design? That was the plan? That wasn't necessarily the plan. I, I didn't get the, the big job that I sort of set out for, but other things, you know, sort of took that place, which I'm I'm very happy and grateful for. So, no, it just kind of like, kind of dropped off and actually kind of transitioned over to Ride 1K, how it really stopped. And I kind of, I got the some sponsors from Law & Ramble on Photo, and I, I brought them over to Ride 1K and when I did that, I told them what I was up to, and they're like, oh, yeah, let's get behind this. So I just I just transferred everything right over, really. Did Ride 1K come out before or after? I, I want to talk about the girl that got her claws into you and reeled you back <laughs> into the east, northeast. <laughs> you were yeah. all the way across the country. So how did you guys meet? How did this all go together? Oh, that's a hell of a story. So I actually met her because of a 1K. <laughs> and... uh Let's see, I was living in Oregon for a while, kind of settling into things there. And uh, some old friends from Syracuse, New York, who by then were kind of all over the country at this point, had plans to meet in Vegas for a surprise birthday party for one of them. And so all of us met up there, maybe 10, 11, or 12 of us. And I brought a friend down from Oregon. We did a 1K from Portland to Vegas. And landed there and I knew everyone but this one woman Olivia and we just hit it off and our friends who know us both very well separately saw us together and were like this makes so much sense and we felt that so we're like you want to just run with this and so that's what we did and she has a now six-year-old daughter out here which is why if I wanted to make it work it was me making the move and uh, I couldn't pull her out to Oregon so we did long distance for about a year, and I came out often because I, I wasn't working. I don't know how I was getting by. Um, <laughs> I, I tried her call that. I'm like, what the hell was I doing? How was I living? And uh, But, yeah, I'd just come here and for a couple of weeks and then go back to Oregon and hang out with my friends and go back. I was growing weed. That's what I was doing <laughs> legally. <laughs> I was growing weed with my friend. Uh, my oh, best yeah. Friend and I roommate. remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. totally forgot about that so. you you said legally yeah yeah it was a medical farm in oregon and and this friend of mine he's been growing for like 30 some years so obviously you know when it was illegal but he's one of the best in the biz and he he took me under his wing and you know we got it growing that's awesome so olivia is her name yep okay so now you've moved back to new york She's yeah, got a mortgage. child. Now you both have yeah. one, right? Right. Yeah, we have our own. She was born on my birthday, believe it or not. Four twenty-one twenty. So a couple years COVID old, baby. Yeah, a couple years yeah, old. Two. Now. Yep, just turned two. Two and thirty-six. Two and. My birthday doesn't matter anymore, though. No. It's all about her. No, that's right. I think we stopped <laughs> having have those. Other way. Yeah, we stopped having birthdays <laughs> yep. when the kids are born. Right. Until it, we turn forty, then fifty, then sixty. Yeah. The big one. Right. No, that's awesome. So at what point did Ride 1K in a Day become a thing? And uh, let's, let's let's tell people about Ride 1K in a Day. So how did the idea come about? What was the idea? And what is Ride 1K in a Day? So Ride 1K in a Day is a challenge for motorcyclists to challenge themselves by riding 1,000 miles in 24 hours. And it sort of came about, there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle, but I did a handful of 1Ks sort of on accident on my trip, not because I wanted to. I think the majority of mine actually been because I had to, 
as I started to get paid for my photos of motorcycle events and I was living on the road, there's like somebody would say, Hey, I'll pay you for this one. And, Oh, it's over a thousand miles away and it's tomorrow or, you know, a couple of days and I got a boogie out there. So I did a lot of uh, miles quickly, uh, not always one Ks, maybe 700 or 800, but I did a lot of things like that. And I talked to people about it like, Oh, I just rode from here yesterday and, you know, one K in a day sort of had that ring. And there's, there's another organization and legal counsel advice that I do not mention their name. So, um, sure, but I'm sure everybody knows. So I would, I would mention that. And to my surprise, not many people knew about it, young and old. And it, it is a very big organization. So I was, I was kind of surprised. And oh, I should mention none of them were official. It was just sort of the term that's, that's coined. And, um, so I sort of felt like this idea needed a revival, whether it actually did or not. Like, I, I know it's still big, but in my experience and conversations with people, it sounded like I should do something about this. So I started 1K in a day, and uh, the plan was for it to be free. It was sort of just this, this fun project for me, and I made it a patch. Uh, actually, my my boss of... Uh, where I was working at the time in Portland, Oregon, he's, he's an awesome illustrator, boss dog on Instagram, um, Mikey McKennedy. He designed the patch and gifted me a hundred of them. And I, people would do the ride. I got it up on Instagram, announced it there and it caught on really quick. And I had a hundred riders in the first year, uh, when announcing it in April and they would get the single patch and a handwritten letter and, that was the case for four years. And then I started to realize like, this, this isn't going to continue if I keep it free. I, that's not a good business model for longevity and growth. So uh, I realized I need to charge a small fee, uh, but that wouldn't come without giving them more. So now they get an official certificate and a couple patches, a couple stickers, something else, and entry into these big giveaways that the sponsors were getting behind with products to give to the riders and uh donating to some motorcycle related charities that's awesome and you're absolutely right i mean if if you don't start collecting money you can't do this giving back to charities that's great because you're not just putting it in your pocket not that not that anybody should worry about that but it just shows that you're a good dude doing that paying that forward and the response to announcing that was actually it was awesome so i didn't actually start that until I moved here to Syracuse and you know I got a family and things to think about beyond myself so I'm like I, I, I need to charge to support this family and um, so I announced it in the beginning of 2020 in January and to my surprise it, it was just me in my head thinking like nobody's going to want to do this now that they have to pay but to my surprise everybody was stoked they're like, oh, it's about time. I, I thought we were taking advantage of you this whole time. Like, happy to support, you know, take my money. So <laughs> with that, and then COVID hit, and I'm like, oh, Ride One K is going to tank this year. Uh, this was before knowing people actually liked the idea of paying. And so then COVID, and I'm like, oh, Ride One K is done for. But the opposite happened with both those things. Of course, people were happy to pay, and people didn't want to sit on their couch. You know, they're stuck in quarantine and seeing, you know, some people doing the ride. And they're like, oh, I'm going to go do the ride. So it, it just caught on like wildfire. Yeah, it's great. One thing, you know, I thought of when you were saying that is motorcyclists in general are very giving people. That's what yeah. a, a lot of non-motorcyclists don't understand. Then you throw the COVID thing in there. And, and then you throw you donating some of that money to charities I mean, it's just, it is a win for everybody involved. And I think motorcyclists probably see that faster than the average person. Absolutely. We're definitely very much misunderstood in, in many aspects, being one of them. I would agree. Um, one of the things I have on here, on your notes, so, you know, this ride 1K in a day thing, and it, maybe this is out of order, but you got the ride 1K in a day thing going, but you put in your bio something about a motorcycle crash that you had. Oh yeah. Talk. When was that? That was before Ride One K in a Day, correct? Or was uh, that after? It was after. Tell us that story. So that was about three months after I launched. 
ride one cane a day. That was at the end of April. And let's see, accident was August. And I was fortunately able to get in my own 1K before that accident. So I was able to, you know, get one in in the first year myself. And then uh, I was just headed to work one night. And, you know, as they, they say, uh, whatever percentage, I'll just throw some numbers, whatever percentage of accidents is a high number happen within three or four miles of your home. Yep. I recall the numbers on there, but I'm, I'm sure you've heard that. And that that's what happened. You know, that's where you're comfortable. And although that, that wasn't the case, the truck jumped out in front of me and I T-boned it. I uh, went flying over the truck and woke up to a friend there who it was right in front of a bar. A friend was there and he saw me and he's like, oh, there's Kurt. And then crash. And then I woke up to him and he, he actually owns a shop there and asked if he wanted, if I wanted him to take my bike to the shop. And that was one of the most relieving things that could have happened. Like, all we're worried about when we get into an accident is like, how's my bike? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yep. <laughs> I knew it was in good hands and I felt a lot better. And, you know, they took me to the hospital and <clears throat> I had a compression fracture to my L1 vertebrae. They say it crushed like a soda can and it's never going to go back and torn ligaments in both my thumbs. So basically imagine uh, you're holding on to the bars for dear life and get thrown over them. You're, you got a grip on there and your thumb just bends all the way back to your wrist. Sure. You know, to, to the, with the forward momentum just throwing you and um, let's see. And, uh, and that happened to brain both injury. sides, Hit right? my head pretty hard. Sorry. Yep. Both sides. Yeah. yeah. And you no know, life, you know, life-changing uh, incident. Then I'm gonna feel for the rest of my life, particularly my back. Uh, back feels like let's say 60 years old, maybe. Mm. <laughs> but not so much that I can't ride. It's, so it's two things that I was worried was really gonna affect my riding, my back and my hand. And uh, I was off the bike for about eight months. But when I got back on, to my surprise, it it seemed un- unaffected. And um, I even did a 1K, let's see, maybe a year after the accident. Wow. And, and no issue. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So the hands are the worst, actually, especially when it gets cold. So cold weather riding is, is a lot harder for me now. It feels like knives and needles just going through my hands. Sure. Have you tried heated grips or anything like that? Does that help? Or no. Not really. But that is on, that's on the list. Okay. I need some heated gear. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, because you can get heated gloves as well. And I don't know, I've never yep. used those, so I, I can't attest to how well they work. I do have the yeah, grips. Yeah, I probably need the gloves. Like, heat all around my hand, not just what I'm holding on to. That's probably what I need. Mm-hmm. But as anybody with injury probably knows, is you know, cold weather, like, really flares them up. Do you, were you a helmet wearer at this time? I was wearing a helmet, but I was stupid and didn't strap it, as I often wasn't doing at the time. Um and I just popped it on. So when I hit the truck, you know, I hit with my helmet on and it popped off there and I went flying over the truck and landed without a helmet. It sounds like the injury probably was on impact, the back injury. Yeah. Just, you know, by the way, yeah. you explained it crushing like a soda can. Right. Yeah. Definitely a direct hit, which may yeah. have been in that case, may have been the best thing. You know, maybe right. as hard as you hit, True. maybe a glancing yeah. blow would have severed the spinal cord or something. Yeah, you never know. How tough was it crazier to get back things on the motorcycle? Yeah, go ahead. What's that? Uh, just crazier things have happened. You know, bigger injuries have happened from less. You know, you see people that, you know, make it out of huge accidents without a scrape. So mm-hmm. it's wild. It is. How tough was it to get on a motorcycle after that for you? Uh, I, I didn't really have any kind of PSD about getting on a bike, but I do have P, uh, PTSD. Sorry. Uh, but I do have PTSD when I'm. Um, particularly even driving, driving along, and I see somebody coming up to an intersection from the right because that's exactly what happened. Sure. Truck came from the right, and I just feel like they're not going to stop. I think they're just going to keep going, and I'm going to have to dodge them or or end up hitting them. Yeah, but other than that, I'm I'm good to go on a bike. Cool. Yeah, I've been you know so I grew up on dirt bikes, and yeah, you crash plenty of times, and it doesn't seem to phase me. But I haven't had that type of an incident, fortunately. So. Just a totally random question. So looking through your notes, I think we've actually touched on everything that uh, was in your bio already. Nice. Yeah, for sure. So you <laughs> well, uh, do this again. It's going to. Oh, you're not done. Going. <laughs> you're not <Yeah>. over. <laughs> None of us are. We're, there's always more stories. I'm more to learn. 
There is. One thing you did confess to me uh, when we first talked about doing this, you said you are not a podcast listener typically, but uh, you did confess that you have listened to a few of these episodes. Oh, of course. Yeah. Podcast has just never really been on my radar. And, you know, social media in general is just hasn't really, I haven't really been drawn to it. I've done it out of necessity. Uh, I've never had a personal social media of any kind. So, you know, even Ramble on Photo, that was about my trip, not so much me. I was documenting the trip. And now Ride 1K is about, you know, everybody else. And it's hard, man, because I, I know I got to be on YouTube and Twitter and, you know, all these things. And I'm like, that sounds exhausting. So, <laughs> yeah, but, I, um, I agree. I've, I've definitely been listening to the podcast that, you know, have brought me on and, you know, to get familiar with them. And then just because I'm into them now, you know, you guys, it, and I'm honored to be on your show. So I like to stay in touch and stay tuned in. Oh, thank you. Thank you. But you know the deal at the end of the podcast, I give you five questions, right? Yep. So now that you've gotten to hear them, I have started mixing those questions up because what happened was people were kind of having planned answers and you can tell when an answer is rehearsed or ready <laughs> and, and rather get you thinking outside the box. So I'm actually here, looking, hold, hold, go ahead. Here, cut for, cut for just a second. So I, I've missed that part. I haven't listened all the way through. Oh, I guess, I, so I, I, I turn your podcast on and then I turn it down because you annoy me. Yeah, I got to run. <laughs> Baby's crying. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Speaking of babies crying, I do know that we're kind of on a time crunch because uh, we're we're currently chatting while baby's napping, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she'll be up any minute. <laughs> okay, so I appreciate you coming on, giving me the time. I'm going to ask you the questions. Like I say, they're designed to think. And if afterwards, if you think of a question that would work for this section of the show in the future, always just text it to me and I'll use it. But um, okay. five questions. Let's see. We're going to go with this one right here. It's like I said, I've mixed them up. What would be something now you've been all over the place on your motorcycle. So I'm really curious to see your answer to this one. But what would be the top bucket list item for you that you would like to accomplish? Hmm. That's a really good question. Um, I suppose it would be Yosemite. That's that's one of the places I've wanted to see most and just haven't been able to make it happen. I've passed by it dozens of times, but because I needed to be somewhere, I wasn't able to stop. So I, I'm not sure you could call that an accomplishment, but that's what's jumping out to me. I need to go to Yosemite. Yeah, that's a bucket list. That's the definition of a bucket list item, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Well, you so, said accomplishment, so I was like, I don't know if it's quite that, but Oh, I probably misphrased it because you're, you're the first person I'm asking the question. So. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I get to refine it for the next guy. Thanks for your uh, <laughs> experimenting with me. <laughs> what would be the best advice that you have gotten as a motorcyclist? Hmm. Man, that's a good one too. Best advice. I, I know whatever I'm going to say, I'm going to come back with something later in my head and think, oh, I should have told him that. Um, that's the way it works right yeah of course oh here we go friend rufio who i admire and think very highly of and he gives me advice i take it and it's to wash your bike and you know i think a lot of people seem to be doing it these days but uh i remember like it was like cool to not wash your bike or something then and so he got on that and he's like every time i wash my bike you know, I'm getting down in there into the details and the crevices. I find something that needs fixing or tightening. So that's what washing a bike, you know, is really all about. You you get more intimate with this bike that you haven't been in all these crevices in so long. You find these things and you uh, prevent something in the future. That's definitely good advice. And you don't hear that. And And when you say wash your bike, it sounds so simple. But growing up racing, I know exactly what that means mm-hmm. because that was... That was told to me as a child as well. So that's actually really good advice. Good. So hopefully listeners start doing that. That's a great idea. <laughs> it's more about the inspection while you're washing, right? Just being observant exactly. of, of uh, what's going on with the bike. So the flip to that then, what's the worst advice? And this doesn't have to be that you've received, but what is the worst advice you see or hear being dispensed in the motorcycling community? Hmm. That's tough. These are all really good questions. <laughs> 
I'm glad I I didn't hear that before. You're making me think. I like not being prepared for this. Good. Uh, the worst advice. I'm I'm not sure. I'd say it's advice, but I'm a a full face guy, full face helmet, and people, particularly out here on the East Coast, they all wear brain buckets, non DOT half helmets, and you know, again, not a it's not advice, but you know, that's what they're doing and probably what they're getting all their other friends to do. So maybe there's, there's some sort of, you know, information and advice in there. You know, wear a real helmet. Yeah. So the, uh, I wonder if you could call that influential advice because your buddies all wear these, you know, ice cream pails. And so you think that's the cool thing to do. So that's what you do. Yeah. Yeah. And I do not. I, I get a, when I get hit with a big bug in my full face, it's always a reminder why I wear a full face. Don't need an accident to remind me of that. Right. Oh, that's cool. So you've been all over. You've done a bunch of things. So the following could be an investment of time, money, energy, or any other resources. What is the best or most worthwhile investment you have made when it comes to your world with motorcycles? Wild ass seat cushion. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody say that yet? Uh, I. I think maybe, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it is what jumped out at me. Uh, That's because we're it's talking. A total game changer. <laughs> it's a total game changer. And, you know, obviously uh, you're a sponsor and uh, we do some cross promotion. And, you know, I, I found the best way to put it is you make a thousand miles feel like a hundred uh, with a with your cushion. It's, you know, virtually those a thousand miles virtually didn't happen. Yeah. So, you know, that gives me an opportunity to ask you something. And I've, I, I would, it'd be hard to believe that I haven't asked you this before, but I may not have. Back injury. Before mm-hmm. the cushion, when you were riding, how did, how did riding and seated, being seated on the motorcycle affect your back injury? Uh, I think unaffected just because of the particular vertebrae that it was, the L1. Mm-hmm. it's the most load-bearing vertebrae. So how that is affected is, is things I'm carrying or like pulling, maybe like changing okay. a tire or something, like pulling up, like breaking the lug nuts loose on a tire. I'm saying that because that flared up my injury once really bad, <laughs> changing a tire someplace. Yeah. So it, it is kind of a weird one where like things that I would think would hurt it don't okay. and other things, you know, that don't do. But um, on a motorcycle, any any pain I've gotten prior or – you know, with the uh, injury is all like tailbone area. Okay. And, you know, your, your cushion takes all that away. Cool. And I'm leaving it because I know that the cushion doesn't do the same things for everybody. But with the back injury, I was wondering if we put you, you know, I, we put you on the best cushion we have. And I wanted to find out, is it doing what I need it to do? which I don't want to tell you what I need it to do because I want that reaction to be from yeah. you, right? So Genuine, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I kind of have to leave it there. Gotcha. That's good. That's staying. Um, let's see. <laughs> we got that one. So the final question would be, what is something that you believe, so a belief of yours, what is something that you believe that other people think is insane? Something I believe that other people think is insane. Hmm. The uh, only thing I can really think of is uh, riding a thousand miles in 24 hours. Now, obviously, a lot of people are doing it, but you know, many, many more people are not doing it, and maybe for the reason that they think it's crazy. And of course, I do see a lot of comments and um, messages from people, you know, about that, saying that they want to do it, but you know, they think it's just too big of a task. They got to work up to it, and. I'm all behind that work up to it. You know, don't push yourself farther than in your comfort zone. So, but it's, it's really not that crazy. It's sort of our best kept secret that it's, it's not as hard as you think it is. It's, it's mostly hype in your head. And even the most experienced rider, they're going to get that the night before their ride. You know, it's sort of this night, this night before Christmas sort of feel and you can't sleep. And, you know, there's lots of unknowns when you go out and do that. Because there's, there's always something, you know, a wrench in the works or bump in the road. Something's always going to happen. Right. That's cool. So those are my five questions that I'm going to give you. Do you have, uh, let's see, where can we follow you? Like I said, I found the Ramble on Photo. 
you're not using that anymore. Um, are you? Should we keep that up? Do you want people following that page? Yeah, yeah. no, if they want to. I mean, it's it's a nice like gallery of my travels and photos that I I think can inspire some people, and I I know it did while I was doing it. So that still all exists there. It's just not there's it's not being added to. Okay. Um, yeah. Cool. But I would cool page to go check out. Yeah, check it out. Ramble on photo. Um, but you know where I'm active and uh, promoting other people's rides, of course, is ride one k in a day. And that's on Instagram and Facebook. Yep. And no YouTube channel. Is that correct? No YouTube. Okay, mm-hmm. folks. When you are searching this, it's ride one k underscore in a day. Just spelled out, no space, obviously. I mean, that's the Instagram thing, but ride1k underscore in a day. Can you, I wonder, you can find that on Facebook the same way? Yep, Facebook the same way. It should come up on, you know, as the webpage in the same way. Okay. Do you have uh, any parting words, anything you'd like to say? Any questions, anything we missed? Um, put your miles where your mouth is. Go ride your motorcycle. 1,000 miles in 24 hours. <laughs> there you go. And and I, I think whether you submit it to, you know, ride one cane a day or not, it's not really the point. Uh, we just, we'd rather you do it and not send it than not do it at all. Like we, we just want to see people riding their motorcycles further than, you know, their local uh, dive bar or ice cream shop. That sounds great. Very cool. So put your miles where your mouth is. Words right Mm -hmm. from Ramble at Ride 1K in a Day. Folks, if you like what you're hearing, hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode of the Wild Ass Podcast. You can follow the adventures on Facebook or Instagram by looking for The Real Wild Ass. And, of course, I am Wild Ass Craig. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you again in a couple weeks. And, of course, thank you again, Ramble, for coming on the show. It was a pleasure having you. Thanks, Craig. It was an honor.